rejection. I still remember the moment when I was in a conversation with a group of people and I started talking about something that was going on in my life that was like a big deal and I was super excited about what was happening. And I'm talking and I'm sharing and just, I mean, it meant so much to me to share what was happening with the people who were listening. And there was a person there, a grown-up, who I looked up to and who had great influence in my life. And as I'm talking, that person stopped me, interrupted me, and said, you know what, uh, you need to be done talking now. You've talked enough. We're going to give somebody else a chance. And I didn't even realize until about three years ago how much that moment of rejection yeah. impacted my life. Three years ago, when I start realizing and the Lord showing me how every time I leave a conversation, I'm analyzing it and I'm going, okay, was I talking too much? Did I sound stupid? I don't really have anything good to bring to the table and people don't really want to hear everything that I have to say. And every time I had an opportunity to get up and do something like this, I was terrified to open my mouth. And the Lord showed me that it all went back to that moment mm. when that rejection started to convince me, you don't have anything good to say. You just need to shut up. Mm. Rejection's a big deal, whether you realize it or not. Now, rejection will always have an effect on our hearts, but it doesn't have to own us. Yeah, that's good. And we can be healed from the rejection that we've experienced. So, Pastor Chase started last week talking about King David. And I want to look at this place. Uh, David was known as, the well, he is known as the greatest king that Israel ever had. He was known as a, a warrior and a brilliant military strategist. He was a songwriter and a poet. He was a man after God's own heart. Like, he's one of the most famous people in Bible history. This great guy, David. And I want us to look at the very first place in Scripture where we get to meet him. And I think Pastor Chase referenced this or talked a little bit about this, but I want to look. It's in 1 Samuel 16. And now what's happening here, uh, this guy named Samuel is a prophet. And basically what that means is God talks to Samuel, and Samuel gives messages to people. And God says to Samuel, hey, the current king, he does not love me. He's all in it for himself. And so I'm finding myself a new king whose heart loves me. And I'm going to send you, Samuel, to go find this guy, and you're going to anoint him as the new king. And so God speaks to Samuel. Sam, God says, go to this City. So God goes to this city, and he gets there. And then God says, okay, now I want you to go find this man named Jesse and go to his house and see his family because that's where you're going to find the next king. And listen, you got to understand, this was a big deal. Everybody knew who Samuel was. Everybody knew that he was the guy that God talked to. So when he walked into town, everybody's like, okay, what's happening? And then he goes to Jesse's house. So everybody in town, obviously Jesse as well, is like, whoa, the man has come to our house. What is happening? It's a big deal. And here we are in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, starting in verse 10. 
Samuel says to this guy, Jesse, he says, hey, I want to see your sons. So Jesse gathers his sons. In verse 10, Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, um, the Lord hasn't chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are, there, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, there is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So we sent and had him brought in. He was ready with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. But what I want us to see is that this amazing, life-changing, awesome, wonderful moment in David's life where he gets picked out, out by God, he gets singled out by God, is actually bathed in rejection by the one person who should accept him, his father. Do you see, for whatever reason, his dad didn't even invite him to this momentous time for their family. He didn't even bother to go get him. For whatever reason, he didn't think David was, was old enough or, or good enough or worthy enough to, to send somebody to go get him and bring him to this time when the man of God had come to speak to their family. He doesn't even include him. He doesn't even take the time to get him. So this wonderful moment for David is bittersweet because it's, it's partially, yay, God chose you. And then there's this bittersweet of my dad didn't even think I should be here. It's bathed in rejection. And then later in his life, other people reject him. His brothers reject him. They mistake, they like misunderstand his heart. And they think his confidence in God is like pride and conceit. His wife misunderstands him and ends up despising him for the, the way that he worships God with all his heart. Even when he goes to Saul and says, hey, I'll fight that giant for you. Who is that guy, Goliath? I'll do it. God's on my side. Saul rejects him. But somebody in authority over him says, um... You can't do that. You're too young. Now, eventually, David convinces him, but his first reaction is, no, not you. And then, honestly, it was probably the best and worst thing that could have happened to David, that he killed Goliath, because from that moment on, yes, people started to see, oh, look at this guy, David. The same time, the king hated him and was threatened by him, and turned a whole bunch of people against him. People that didn't even know him rejected him. Mm -hmm. So his whole life, for his age, for his lack of experience, for his love for God, he gets rejected over and over yeah. and over again. And you better believe it broke his heart. David wrote in Psalm 142, listen to this, listen to how he expresses his heart to God. As I sink in despair, my spirit ebbing away, you know how I'm feeling. You know the danger I'm in, the traps hidden in my path. Look at my right, look to 
left. There is not a soul who cares what happens to me. I'm up against it with no exit, bereft, left alone. I cry out, God. I call out. You are my last chance, my only hope for life. Listen, please, listen. I've never been this low. Rescue me from those who are hunting me down. I'm no match for them. Get me out of this dungeon. A dungeon. It's a perfect imagery for rejection. It's dark, it's lonely, isolating, overwhelming. That's what rejection feels like. Rejection easily could have stopped David from being all that we read about him in this book. But I want to tell you why I think it didn't. When everybody else rejected him, when no one else saw in him worth, David was 100% absolutely convinced that God loved him. 100% absolutely convinced that no matter what any other person did or didn't see in him, God loved him. Even when he failed, and he did, he messed up major. And yet he knew God chose him. He knew it deep, deep, deep. He actually says it like this in Psalm 27. He says, my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Yeah. This reminds me of this guy named Campbell Morgan. He was a famous preacher and writer in the 1800s. And when he was young, he really wanted to get into this uh, this Wesleyan ministry. It was like a community for preachers. And he really wanted to be a part of this group. And so he passed the written exam that they had to take. And then the only thing that was left is he had to get up and do like a practice sermon in front of this panel. So he did. He practiced. And he worked hard. And he did the practice sermon. And then they posted all the names of everybody who was accepted. And his name was not on it. So he went to the place, 1800s, he went to the place where he could send a telegram to his dad. And he just sent one word. Rejected. And then he sat down to write in his journal. In his journal, all he, all he could say was, very dark. Everything seems still. Stop. And maybe that's where you are right now. Maybe where you are right now is a really dark place. Very alone. Whether it's because of friends and things that they've done, things that they've said or haven't done, or haven't said. I know for some of you in here, it goes even deeper. It's parents. 
amazing dad. And yet I remember the, <laughs> I remember when I crashed his second truck, the second truck of his that I crashed when I was 17. <clears throat> and, and my dad is loving and loves Jesus and has loved me well, okay? But I remember what it felt like when it took him a couple months to get over that and not be mad and disappointed in me. I remember it. I remember how he had a hard time talking to me for a couple months. And for some of you in this room, it goes even deeper than that. You may not even know both of your parents. You may not live with both of your parents. I don't know. Maybe you're in that very dark, very still place, just like this guy, Campbell Morgan. But listen, he writes in his journal, and then before he knows it, he gets a reply, a telegram, a wire. It was a wire. So it comes in just moments after he sent his message to his dad. And this is, this is what it says. Rejected on earth, accepted in heaven, dad. And here's the thing. This right here, I believe with all my heart that this is what the Lord would say to you. Yeah. Whatever it is that you're walking in, whatever it is that you're facing, this is what the Lord would say to you. Hey, Bo, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven, Dad. Kylie, rejected on earth, accepted in heaven, Dad. Sydney, rejected on earth, but you're accepted in heaven, yeah. Dad. Listen, if there is one thing, if there is one thing that I could convince you of, one, like of all the things that are in here, of all the good things that you could believe, if there's one thing, is that you are loved by God more than you could ever know. And somehow, David got that in such a way that even with all the people who rejected him, he still faced that giant, he still became king. He failed and got back up again because he knew who loved him and never rejected him. How do I know that God loves you? What's my proof? It's this guy named Jesus. 
is this guy named Jesus who, when God wanted to somehow show you his heart, somehow prove to you that there's nothing you could do that would cause him to push you away, cause him to turn his back on you, he took his heart and he put it inside this guy named Jesus and sent him to the earth. And then do you know that moment? You know that moment? Oh my gosh, do you know that moment on the cross? Right before he dies and Jesus cries out, he says, God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why have you rejected me? Do you know the significance of that? Is that in that moment, everything that you ever did that could deserve God's rejection was put on Jesus in that moment so that he could carry it for you so that never, ever, ever, ever would God turn his back on you. Ever. There's one thing. God loves you. Chloe, you've been rejected on earth by some people, but you are accepted and loved by your dad. You need to know that more than you could ever know. Can I get the band uh, up here? And here's what I want us to do. speaking to my heart. I know that the whole reason I struggled with not knowing how I wanted to end tonight, why there's a page of just words about God's love and his heart and God wouldn't give me (laughs) the ending and I struggled with it is because of that rejection about what comes out of my mouth 30 years ago. So I know I know what it can do to us. But I also know the moment three years ago when I got set free. And when I started to think about it and it went over in my brain today, I was able to say, I know that I can trust the Father. Mm. That it's not about what comes out of my mouth, it's about what comes out of his heart. So I know that we can be set free from whatever it is that rejection has done to our hearts.